Well, it's nice to see a few of you here today. We filled up since we started this morning. Um, as Dr. Stokes said, he let me know a little bit uh, in the middle of the, the week that he wasn't going to be able to do this. And I am pleased to actually come before you today and teach this uh, service. As I've been reflecting a lot on the imperfection of this world over this this period of Christmas and over uh, over this time during just this whole season. And um, I was reflecting a lot on where Jesus was born in the stable and how it wasn't even sanitary and how God, the creator of all things, He probably caused the census to happen for Jesus and Mary and Joseph to actually have to go back to the city of David where God had predicted he would be born. And yet, God didn't allow for any single room in any home for Mary to give birth to Jesus. And so, this, uh, this has been something that I've been just thinking about through this season. And so, as I put this together... I thought of the title, and it was fitting to call it The Imperfect Person Glorifying the Perfect God. So today we're going to look at different people in the passages of the Torah and in the Gospels, and who they were as people, for they weren't perfect at all. And then we're going to see the transformation of these people, and how God, when they trusted in Him, they were able to glorify Him in the kingdom. So today... We're going to first turn to Matthew three thirteen through 17, which we already read today about John the Baptist. He is one person, one of our uh, people that in the scripture I thought of as this perfect person. And yet, we in this passage of 13 through 17 in Matthew, it says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in the way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. Ever since I've been part of the UMJC, and we all are, and been taught by some of the rabbis to kind of look at the individual scriptures and kind of pick them apart, I do such a thing. And in verse 14, it actually points to John acknowledging his imperfection and how he wasn't even able to baptize the Messiah. But the Messiah told him, we need to do this. And it was by his ability to follow Jesus' instructions that John was able to glorify the kingdom. So even in this short little passage where it says, But John tried to prevent him saying, I have need to be baptized by you. He's acknowledging and he's humbling himself. So I caught that little scripture as we, we read it earlier and I prepared for this service today and wanted to point that out to you. But I'm going to have you turn to Exodus. We're going to look at Moses and his personality. And in Exodus 2 is where... I'm going to pull from the scriptures about Moses today. A lot of times we have a, a, 
a way of putting pastors, deacons, people within the church up on pedestals. And even I have done that in the past. But yet, even the ones in the scriptures we think of as perfect, yet God uses the imperfect to glorify himself. So Exodus 2, 11 through 14, we're going to take a closer look at Moses and what he actually, his personality was like. And we're going to look closely at his imperfections. And reminder, we're going to, as we look through Moses, we're going to look at Peter, we're going to look at Paul, we'll see the transformations. But first, we're going to look at their characters and their flesh and who they really were. So 2, 11 through 14 says, Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, so he's considered an adult, that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. And when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Right there, when you just kind of take this apart a little bit, he looked around to make sure he wasn't going to get caught. And he was so angry that he committed one of the sins that he would write against in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit. <clears throat> shall not kill. But it goes on to say, So he looked. Um, he went on the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? So he saw his brethren fighting amongst each other. But he said, Who made you prince or judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. So we have Moses here. He's not perfect in any way. He actually struck down one of the Egyptians because he got so angry. And yet he also was scared at times because he was scared of the Egyptians. This will play into factor when God calls him to be one of his, or actually the instrument that would rescue his people out of Egypt. But knowing that Moses actually did this. Let's turn to Exodus 3, 11 through 15, and take a look at when God was talking to Moses from the burning bush. I actually heard a few comments about the recent movie about Moses and the guy, I can't remember who played Moses in that movie, but he said, um, obviously he's not a believer, but he was thinking that Moses must have been schizophrenic because he was talking to a bush and he was hearing voices. And I thought, you have no idea about the faith that Moses must have had and who he came in contact with, obviously. But Exodus 3, 11 through 15, let's look a little closer at Moses' personality and who he was. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? So he's questioning God here. Who am I? Why would you pick me? And he said, Certainly I will be with you. This is God speaking to Moses. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to be, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, 
the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say, again questioning and making excuses, they may say, what is his name, this God? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. You see, Moses wasn't raised in a Hebrew home, but he was helping Moses identify who he was For Moses was scared and he was questioning God. So much that in, we're going to read chapter 4, 14 through 17, that God gets angry at Moses for keep on, as he keeps on questioning him. And it says, The anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he said, Is there not your brother Aaron? See, Moses had a speech impediment. It's been talked about amongst the rabbis and among other believers, that Moses may have stuttered quite a bit. So he was using an excuse not to have to do God's will. But when God wants to use you, you're not going to move away from Him. And it's through our weaknesses that He can be glorified. And he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth in his mouth. And I will teach you what you are to do. You see, God's comforting him. He's predicting the future so that Moses would know that God was telling him the truth. Because can you imagine going back and forth with God? That's what Moses' flesh was doing. I'll help you. Well, let me give you another excuse. That was Moses and his personality. He was not perfect at all. Let's go on to Peter. Flip back over to the New Testament. John 13. Now Peter, he was a fisherman. And I don't know, I don't know very many fishermen myself personally. I do watch The Deadliest Catch. Those guys are some rough guys on TV. But they usually are all or nothing. They're in it for, for what they can do. And if you don't like what they have to do, you better get behind them because they don't care. And we're going to look at some passages and you're going to see uh, how Peter was very similar to just what I was talking about and what I've observed. So, 13 of John, verse 5 through 10. Then he poured water in the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? So Jesus humbly, the servant, even though he's a Messiah and master, he's serving Peter. And Jesus answered and said to Peter, what I do, do not reali- you do not realize, but you will understand hereafter. 
basically, after my death, you'll understand what I'm doing. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. See, he didn't want him to have to serve him. Peter is thinking, I'll serve you. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. So in other words, if you're going to wash my feet, wash all of me. I'll be cleansed and you'll help me. And there won't be a part of me that isn't cleansed by you. All or nothing, the fisherman type. And it goes on. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you, you are clean, but not all of you. And when it says, For he knew the one who was betraying him, they were he was at that point he was talking about Judas, as we know. But you can see here, right, that Peter was his personality was all or nothing. And at times he would turn away from God. Let's look at an all or nothing passage again. And that's actually Matthew 14. And at this point, Peter and all the disciples had been serving with Jesus and talking to the people up on the mountain, as you guys talked there. And Jesus had sent them away on a boat. And he he was going to go to them later, as Jesus already knew. But we're going to see Peter's personality in this. He's all or nothing again. He's the one that wants to get out on the boat in the water. So let's look. Is Peter perfect? He's far from that. But he is all or nothing person. So 14.22, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. That is Jesus. And he, when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Here we go, Peter. You're going to show your personality again. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come! And Peter got out on the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. This is awesome. He's on the boat. I don't know about you guys, but I might be a little bit leery to put my feet in that water. With the winds blowing and everything, they were already wet. But he sees them. Can you imagine that, Anna? Anna? Saying... Come on across. Walk across the ocean. I can't either. But Peter's like, command me and I'll do it. And picking back up as he got out on the water. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. So he was focused on the Lord, the all or nothing thing again. And he's walking. And as he's walking, his eyes, like all of us, we get off on the left or we get off on the right. And he takes his eyes off of what God had for him and Jesus had for him. And he started to sink. And he got worried. So he cried out, 
and immediately Jesus stretched his hand out and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, we get in trouble when we don't focus on him and give it all to him. When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. See, Jesus was in charge of the winds too. But Peter wasn't perfect. Peter was also told about the future, just like Moses was. In Matthew 16, just a few pages from where we are, Jesus predicts to Peter what his future would be. And in verse 18, it says about the 16, 18, okay. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed, lost in heaven. You see, predictions of what people are going to experience can be very eye-opening. You look at patterns of behavior, yet God knows all, so He can predict what's going to happen even 30 years from now. And this is what Jesus was doing for Peter, setting him up to see what he would become. I want to turn to Paul now. You can see how Moses wasn't the perfect person. He actually killed somebody. And his questioning God. Turn to Acts 7, and we'll pick up in 54. And we'll talk about Paul. But you can see how Peter was an all or nothing person, and he wasn't perfect either. But, Paul was worse than almost any of them. And if you will, as we read this passage, I was going to go into more detail, but I'm not going to now. But I want you to hear these words, because if, as we hear the news and we hear about Iraq and the Christian brother and sister who are being persecuted for Jesus' name and sake, Paul, better known in Saul, that we'll read, would have been part of ISIS. He was persecuting, he was taking people out of their home as we read these passages. So 7.54 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. And they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, this is Stephen. Stephen is testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ being the Messiah. And you'll see what happens. He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the right hand of God. So even here on earth, he was starting to see what God had in store for him. But they cried out with a loud voice, covered their ears, and rushed at him with one impulse. Only one purpose they had for Stephen. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes, at the feet of the young man named Saul. So making sure their clothes didn't get dirty, put them at Saul's feet. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, this is Stephen, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, 
Do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentations over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. You see, God knows what he's doing. And I can't imagine the guilt that Paul felt, Saul felt, when God actually calls him to him. You see, there's a transformation that happens to Paul. And I want to go right into that now. And that's actually going to be found in Acts 9. But I want to first tell you a little bit, because it's whenever somebody dies, that it can have a a hard impact on you. Yet, two of the people here that we're talking about today, that sometimes we put up on a pedestal, their, their life, their flesh, had killed other people. Peter, I didn't know of him killing anybody, but I can only imagine. We'll look at his transformation. But when somebody actually dies, it impacts us. I can speak to this myself because I wasn't even following the ways that I should be living when I was about 20, 21. And yet, my grandfather, I know he continued to pray for me. And we were really close. And it wasn't until the day of his death that I had to understand and I had to give my life over to Lordship of Messiah. Even though I'd lived all my life in the pretense of knowing God and knowing Jesus as my Savior, it wasn't until that day that I made Him the Lord of my life and it was His death that caused me to get back on the path. So it's through death sometimes that God gets our attention. And Paul had caused that with the brethren, that he would have came beside. And so we read of Paul's conversion today in Acts 9, 1-22. through 22. Now Saul stood, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, he even went to the high priest to get permission, and asked for letters from him, to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belongings to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, I can't imagine being blinded by the sun. There's some reflections and mirrors that I have to turn away from. This must have been very powerful and even more than that. And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Now that might have freaked me out even if I was one of those men. 
But Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. You see, up until this point, Paul had been doing stuff and he was blinded until God actually transformed him. And this is actually a physical transformation. And he said, He was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. And Ananias answered. Now, I don't want to get off on Ananias, but I can imagine if this person had been killing my brother and sisters, I wouldn't want to go around him. And the Lord's telling him to. And I would have a similar question. Lord, I have heard from many about this man. He is evil. How much harm he did. Your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. You want me to go before somebody who can actually put me in prison. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings of the sons of Israel. For I will show how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, he walked in, not asking him what he was doing there. He walks in and says, Brother Saul, already calling him his brethren. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. Now, here's the miracle and the transformation. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were with him at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Amazing how God took this man who had been persecuting his people. I wouldn't classify myself as somebody that had killed anybody because I haven't. But Paul, he was transformed in this way. And he was used by the Almighty to glorify his kingdom. Paul speaks of this in his own passages of scripture or in his own writings, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 11, we can actually see Paul talking about his own behaviors and how he is the least of the apostles. And he says in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God I am what I am. 
And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Amazing when you give in to the Lord what he can do through you. If you'll allow him to use your weakness for his strength. It's your weaknesses that can actually glorify him. I stand before you guys today never thinking I would ever be standing in a place preaching. Deacon, yeah, I could do that. But doing this, it's all his glory. People from Bakersfield could tell you I would never have thought Trevor would actually be doing what he's doing today. So, that's one of the biggest conversions. Let's look at Moses. Now we know, back in Exodus 17... We know Moses gave in to God. He actually went back to Egypt. He helped deliver the people from there. Brought them through the Jordan River. And actually became God's instrument to deliver the ones that were being persecuted. In Exodus 17, I want to point out here, he had gotten to the point where he was praising God. He was actually helping his people be delivered even as they were continuing to uh, go to war at times. And yet, Moses needed help. We need help today. If we're going to glorify God, we've got to utilize one another in our weaknesses. Let's look at how Moses uses everyone around him to help the people and for the glory of God. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Raphadim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. I can imagine this. I, I was just reading some stuff or looking at some stuff about the Civil War and how some people, when it first started, came out with picnic baskets and sat on top of hills thinking they were going to watch the war battle and it would be done after that. Moses had put himself in a place to watch what was going on. Now in the Civil War, it got so grotesque that they left. But that's kind of what he, he's there, he's watching. Let's see what Moses does. Um, Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses... Aaron and her were up on the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hands up that Israel prevailed. So as long as his hands were here, his army was winning. How many of you guys work out? There's some of you. I see. I know. I've seen it on Facebook. <laughs> How many of us can hold our hands up for hours and hours and hours? Now put two or three pounds in it and it's harder to stay up. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. So Moses got tired and his hands came down and the Israelites started to lose. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him. So they're propping things up. And he sat on it and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until sunset. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So it would be like 
they knew, they saw what was going on. I can only imagine. If I was Moses, I'd want to do this. All right, we're doing pretty good. You know, but they saw what was going on and Moses was getting tired. And so they helped him. Just like we have to help each other. I'm not always good in everything. That's for sure. I had to call Matt yesterday for my garage door opener. I had no idea what was going on. But as he was taking his family down for some fun, he was able to answer some of my questions and give me direction in the way I could go. I believe helping one another in such ways actually glorifies God, shows the angels how we can help each other. And this is what we were we are to do. So we know Moses, he had a huge transformation. And even in the power of just his hands being up, he needed help. But his ability to follow what God had wanted, you can see that God was glorified. Even in Moses, a man that sometimes we put up on a pedestal, but yet his flesh was human. Finally, let's look at Peter and his transformation. Peter's transformation. I'm going to start in John 18. His transformation, I can only imagine, would have started even before Jesus' death. Because of the fact that Jesus had told him, you will deny me three times. Before the sun dawns and the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And Jesus would go on to be persecuted and die that day. But Peter says in verse 15 of chapter 18, Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, Peter, I'm not. I'm not one of them. I just, I'm, I'm standing here getting warm just like you. One. One time. Move on to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing warming himself. Again, it's cold outside. Winter time or springtime. You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. There's a second time. Now, the interesting piece. One of the slave girls, or one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one who, whose ear Peter cut off. Remember, all or nothing, that's his personality. And one of the relatives of the one who had the ear cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him who's on trial? Peter then denied it again, and immediately the rooster crowed. I imagine he left from there not feeling too highly about himself and beginning that transformation. As we know, Peter went on to be one of the lead disciples amongst the nations. And in 1 Peter, as I come to the passage, 
that we'll end on. Peter tells us how to love one another and how to look to one another. But we need to realize we're not perfect people either. A lot of times we're harder on ourselves. We put what's out there in front of one another as perfect, or we try to be, but we need to realize we're not perfect. And we've got to be able to work through these imperfections for the glory of God. So when I call Matt about a garage door opener, or I call Bill about some kind of construction, what am I doing? I'm admitting I can't do this and I need some help. Trying to figure it out on your own, you're probably going to just cause more damage and cause Matt and Bill to do a lot more work. But we can actually, um, if we will humble ourselves and acknowledge where we're weak, others can help us. In 1 Peter 4, 8-11, through 11, it says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because I love... Because love covers a multitude of sins, be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a specific gift, mine, Dr. Stokes's, is not construction. Bill's, Matt's, other people, they do construction well. Mine's not finances. Steve's is. I'm going to talk to him about finances at times. Mine's not knitting, but my wife's is. You see, it's not just the gifts of the Spirit. It's gifts that God has t- gave us talents for. We need to be helping one another in those ways. Employ it in serving one another as God's stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. You see, our weaknesses can be His glory. And if we want another, the angels can learn from us. I learn and enjoy watching the kids as they grow into their own faith. I enjoy watching others who minister minister here at church and have to hold their little ones as they do it. It ministers to me to see what you guys are doing for one another. So let us remember that as we teach our children the Bible, we also need to show them that these are people that aren't perfect within here. But it's because they said yes to the Lord that He was glorified, and God used them and placed them in these books. Let us go to Him in prayer.